Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Please be seated. Today is the feast of the reign of Christ, the feast where we celebrate Christ coming again to uh, inaugurate a reign of peace and justice on earth. And uh, I'm, I'm going to try to weave a careful uh, path here between two, I think, mistakes that the church typically makes with regard to this material. Um, the, I'm going to start by saying that the the conversation around the reign of Christ, around the end times, about the second coming, about the, uh, what it means for the kingdom of God to be realized on earth. Um, there are a variety of interpretations, some more literalistic, some more metaphorical. All that is fine as far as I'm concerned. Um, but they, they have their roots in a longing that we hear from the first page of the Old Testament, a longing for peace, justice, right relationship, on earth in human community. It comes from our moral sensibilities where we look at the way the world is and it ain't right. And so we say, where did these moral sensibilities come from? I mean, you could be nihilistic and say, well, that's just the way it is. Get what you can while you're at it and be done. Um, but most of us can't live with that. We say, no, there is some moral fabric of this universe that we are failing to live up to. And that sensibility runs from the story of Adam and Eve onward. And so we have the story of this, this quest of the Israelite community to become a, a nation of righteousness, a nation that is God's nation, a kingdom of God. And they struggle with that, and there are some hints of it, and there are some, some ways in which they come close to it. But that vision is crystal clear all the way through from the law and the prophets and the story of the kings and all the rest of it. As you read that narrative, you cannot help but get the vision of what the nation ought to be, even as the nation is what it is. And so when we think of this notion of the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, it is a vision of earthly right relationship. And uh, I'm, I'm conscious that, this, uh, that I'm preaching uh, my, my, just my last sermon, which was two weeks ago on Remembrance Sunday. I made the argument that if we're going to be peacemakers in a practical and effective sense, we've got to be political because you want to have the choices before the only and last choice is war. And so you have to engage in the process to make sure there are choices other than war if we are to be people of peace. And so I made the argument then, and I stand by it, that Christians ought to be political. So that vision of the kingdom of God animates us. And I would also go further and say, I don't know what a nation does if it doesn't have a sense of a grounding of its moral and ethical framework. Um, that, uh, that relativism cannot work for a society. We cannot say, well, that's right for you and this is right for me. Because sometimes those, are so, those visions are so different that we cannot function if we don't have a common sense of the right, the good, the just. And so when one, of the, uh, one of the advantages of Christendom, which gets a bad rap, and including from me, but one of the advantages of Christendom is that at least we kind of had a shared language about what the just, the true, and the good look like, and it came out of this tradition. Um, so, so it is a political vision, and it is, a, it is a vision of the future. It is a vision of the kingdom of God, the good kingdom, that the kingdom to which we aspire. And so as we are engaged in the life of our community, we work towards that vision, and that vision 
calls us onward into a perfection that we can only glimpse dimly through a mirror on this side of the grave. But that's the first trap of, of our church's interpretation, is that when we reduce the kingdom of God to something that is entirely this worldly, we do not do justice to the theological breadth of this concept of the kingdom of God. We say the kingdom of God is righteousness on earth, and we go, well, it is, but it's not only that. It's more than that. We have this great conversation between Jesus and Pilate about saying, so you are a king. You say that I'm a king. That's your word. It's not a good word. It's, it's okay as far as it goes, but don't reduce me to that concept that I came to testify to the truth and my kingdom is not from here. It is not an earthly kingdom. It is a heavenly kingdom. It is a kingdom from above. And so that puts a great big question mark over all the political conversation for Christians, that we have a vision of the good life, we educate ourselves, we understand as best we can what righteousness and peace and justice looks like on this side of the grave, but ultimately the kingdom is not from here, it is transcendent, and so we need to be humble about that vision. It's our best guess given what we've got to work with and no more than that. And we don't know what God is doing and it's not necessarily about this life itself. So there, there are two images that I want to share with you to sort of pull us out of that, that mindset that, that the kingdom of God brings us into a real, this worldly, measurable, experienceable state of justice. One is the, the metaphor of the butterfly effect. I hope most of you are familiar, but for the few of you that may not have heard of it before, it's a philosophical concept that you imagine a butterfly that flaps its wings in a certain way on a particular day, and that sets off a cause and effect chain reaction. So a bird that would ordinarily have seen the wings doesn't see them because they flapped upward, and so the bird eats another bug that day, and so this this butterfly goes on somewhere else and causes other things to happen other than being eaten that day, which leads to this and to that and the next thing. And eventually, hundreds of years later, a kingdom falls and another kingdom rises. And you could say that it was caused by the flap of a butterfly. And the point of the illustration is just that the chain of cause and effect is so complex, we cannot know what the outcomes will be of any given action. And so that needs to put a layer of humility over our political aspirations and work. We don't know what the outcome will be. It may be that an injustice now may lead to greater justice later, and we can't see it from where we are. So we oppose the injustice, we stand for justice, we work for the kingdom of God, but we do that in humility that, that God is up to something that we cannot fundamentally know. And we have to allow God to be bigger than our ideas of God. Even when I give you that illustration, we are still working with this linear, this worldly understanding of time. It's still all about us. And the other image I want to give you is the ant colony being managed by an entomologist. And an entomologist is taking care of the ant colony, and from the ant's perspective, some of them are dying. Maybe even the whole colony is dying. And they go, we don't know why, but the entomologist is trying to save the species. The ants do not have the framework to understand how what they are experiencing is part of a greater good design. And so we don't know 
what the fullness of the universe is and what the kingdom of God encompasses, but we know it's bigger than this life. It may not even be about us at all. And here, I'm just going to throw in another one because I like it. Uh, A good man was walking across the street and got hit by a taxi and dies. And he goes to heaven and he says, why, what did I do to to die? He said, and God says to him, oh, nothing, you're fine. It's the taxi driver. I was trying to get his attention. (laughs) It may not be about you. It may be about something much bigger and much more important than you. Right? And so... So we, we, we may be the taxi driver, we may be the guy hit by the taxi, and it may be part of a bigger plan of goodness and fullness, and our existence may be part of something much bigger than this life, and we don't know, and so we have to have this incredible humility about our political engagement. We can't ever identify the kingdom of God with our understandings of justice and goodness. There is this transcendent dimension. Now, that leads me to the other mistake. Not only should we, redu- should we not reduce the kingdom of God to a this-worldly political vision of the good society, we also should not reduce it to an otherworldly mystery which has no bearing on this world. And I think here, and I, and I love them, and, I, and they, have, they have much to teach us, so I am not throwing shade, but monastics and Mennonites, not picking on them, But within the monastic and the Mennonite worlds, there is a sense that the world is so corrupt that the only solution is to ignore it completely and just focus on God in prayer or in our own little community and let the world go hang. And for me, that drops off the other side of the paradox of the line that I'm trying to walk, that this world does matter. That it's, it's not that it's all about the spirit and your flesh is irrelevant. It's just a vehicle that carries your spirit and no matter what the suffering or enjoyment, it's all irrelevant about some mysterious journey of the soul that has nothing to do with your earthly life and your actual relationships and your actual seeking of justice or injustice on this side of the grave. So that's the other side. I, I'm only naming that and I'm not going to dwell on it because we're not that club. We're on the this-worldly side as Anglicans. We, we are a Christendom church par excellence. We identify with the good society and what the, you know, a good citizen would be a good Anglican and yada, yada, yada. So my energy has been to pull us away from that into an appreciation of mystery, but at the same time, it's not all about the mystery. It is some paradoxical balance. It's living with this tension. And that, that brings me to the final point about Christ the King. It is an eschatological point of view. It's an end times. It's a fullness of time, which is both now and not yet. So the best teaching about the end times is that the end times are now and the end times are not yet, both at the same time. So we have one foot in the kingdom of God right now by virtue of our baptism. We are members of that kingdom already, and we live out of that kingdom already but it will never be perfect. It will always be imperfect because the kingdom is at the same time not yet. And so we live in the paradox. We live in the between time where one foot is in the kingdom and one foot is out of the kingdom. And that's a design feature, not a bug. God means this to be this way. This is the journey for us to live with one foot in each world because there's something that journey is trying to teach us, some truth that the kingdom is about that we can only feel our way into. We can't, 
We can't theologize our way into it. We can't philosophize our way into it. We, we, and we certainly can't rules manual our way into it either. But it's the paradox that we must uphold. So that's really all I've got to share with you this morning. The reign of Christ is paradoxical. It is both now and not yet. It is about politics and it's not about politics. It's about this world and it's about the next. And ultimately it's about Jesus who pulls us into this paradoxical place. Jesus was who was both human and divine. Both. Doesn't make sense, but you need both sides in order to, to participate in the truth that Jesus came to share with us. And we are both human and divine, and that is part of that journey. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.